0: said. Amen. You can turn once again in your copy of God's Word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll be looking at all of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 today. Looking at the theme of a deeply rooted faith. A deeply rooted faith. Now this comes after Paul has been defending his ministry defending the integrity of his ministry before God, the character of his ministry before others. And now he recounts something of the story of him sending Timothy to them to find out about their faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter three, this is God's holy word. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen. And may the Lord bless us as we look to his word together. Uh, One way to select a theme for a sermon, is to look for significant, repeated words or ideas in a text of scripture. And if you look through this passage, there's one word, one idea that pops out very frequently, and it's the idea of faith. Paul says that he wants to see the Thessalonians' faith strengthened and encouraged in verse two. He says he desires to find out about their faith in verse five, and that he's heard good news about their faith in verse six. And he's encouraged about their faith in verse 7 and wants to supply what is lacking in their faith in verse 11. Now, the word faith is used in two different ways in the New Testament. Uh, The first we might call the narrow sense, where we're talking about the faith one has, which is the instrument by which you receive the grace of God. It's used this way in Galatians 2.16, where we read that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So in the narrow sense, faith in Christ is the instrument by which we receive justification. And we saw last week that the three components of true faith are knowledge, knowledge of the truth, assent to the truth as true, and thirdly, trust in that truth, putting the hope in Christ. But perhaps more often in the New Testament, faith is used in the broad sense. Uh, It is used to describe the whole of the Christian life or the whole of the Christian religion. When Paul uses the term, the faith, he's referring to that whole system of doctrine flowing from the core belief of faith in the risen Christ Jesus. When he speaks of your faith, He's meaning the whole system of Christian living which flows from core belief in the risen Christ. So he talks about how he wants their faith strengthened. That is really the whole, the totality of their religious life. And faith in Christ is like that root from which the whole plant of the Christian life springs. And Paul wants the Thessalonians' faith to be a deeply rooted, a strong, well-supplied faith. And our faith, is often likened to a plant in scripture. Think of Christ's words in John 15, verse four. He says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then in verse eight, he says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. A deeply rooted faith is a fruitful faith. Uh, I mentioned my parents are here in town visiting and our hometown of Maple Ridge, British Columbia has a town motto. And the town motto is deep roots, greater heights. It's a pretty good motto, deep roots, greater heights. And um, I actually did a little bit of research and I discovered that the depth of the roots does not necessarily mean the strength or height of the tree. It's a misnomer, but uh, um, rhetorically it works pretty well. Deep roots, greater heights. Uh, A deeply rooted faith is a fruitful faith. And we need a deeply rooted faith because there's so much in this world and culture that would seek to uproot our faith, to blow over our faith. Or as I remember um, someone I was uh, mentoring in a youth group one time saying, it just feels like everything in my life is trying to beat the Christian right out of me. We live in, as we saw last week, James K.A. Smith calls the age of contestability everything's contestable. Every aspect of our faith is poked and prodded and sought to be uprooted. We need a deeply rooted faith, and Paul, he desired and hoped and prayed that the Thessalonians would have a deeply rooted faith, because he knew trials were coming to them. He was only with them, remember, for three weeks. He had a three-week revival in Thessalonica, And he's worried, now that he's away from them due to persecution, whether their faith will stand the test of time. And he has sent Timothy, his protege, to go back and find out how the church is doing and come back and report to him. Because he's worried, what if these persecutions have uprooted the church? What if they are like uh, that rocky soil Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower, where someone hears the word and at first receives it with joy, but since they have no root last only a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes, they fall away. Paul was worried that the Thessalonians might have had what uh, the Puritan writer William Perkins called temporary faith. It is faith that at first receives the word, even rejoices in it, even bears some fruit, but the motivation is related only to temporary causes— Maybe the desire to be a part of some exciting new movement. Maybe the desire to hear some interesting new ideas and not rooted in true faith in Christ. And so that's what Paul says in verse one. Take a look with me at your copy of God's word. He says, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Okay, so that's where Paul is stationed in Athens. We sent Timothy who is our brother and fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So Timothy, Paul's new associate, a great helper to him, Paul's willing to let his main assistant go because he needs to know how the Thessalonian church is doing. He needs to know that their faith is strong. And he sent Timothy, it says, to strengthen and encourage the faith of these peoples. Why? So that the persecutions and suffering wouldn't see the faith pass away as unfruitful. And so we learn first here that if their faith can be strengthened or encouraged, the strength of their faith is variable. There is such thing as stronger faith or weaker faith, more courageous faith, less courageous faith. But that is to say, the key thing is the existence of faith. Right? It is not the strength of your faith that saves, but the existence of your faith. Um, if you are flying on a plane, like my parents will be tomorrow, i take some level of faith to get on this giant heavy piece of metal and really trust that it'll bear you aloft away from the earth. Now, someone might have weak faith, hesitating, boarding, white knuckled, scared, sick, anxious, but having enough faith to get on the plane will bear them aloft, whether their faith in the plane is strong or weak. The existence of faith is key, but a strong faith, a courageous faith is unto our joy. If you have a strong faith in the ability of the plane to bear you aloft, then you can be at peace. You can relax try potentially to even enjoy the experience, the uh, free drinks, the in-flight entertainment, or a conversation with someone near you. When our faith is stronger, such that we don't have to worry about the fears and the assurances, we're able to find much more peace and joy and fruitfulness in the faith. Paul wants to see the Thessalonians' faith come to that place, where they can float in the air as it were, strong, courageous, rooted in Christ. And so he sends Timothy to them. Timothy is a gospel minister. Timothy is a evangelist and a pastor, and he is going back to remind the church of the gospel, to remind them of where to put their roots, in the Lord Jesus. And our faith is strengthened and more deeply rooted through constant reminder. Peter writes to the church. He says, I'm writing to you by constant reminder to stir up your faith. And the Lord knows we need constant reminders. And one of the ways he reminds us is in that week by week, Sunday after Sunday, Lord's Day worship, where the gospel of Christ comes to us again and again and again. And the whole service of worship reminds us of the gospel of Jesus. Not just a uh, tack on at the end of the sermon that reminds us to trust in Christ who died and rose, but no, the whole of the service. We're reminded at the start that God calls us to worship him. He invites us to give Him praise. We're reminded as we confess our sin that we are sinners in need of a cleansing Savior who assures us of His pardon. We're reminded that we can bring all our needs and concerns to the throne of grace. We're reminded that God has provided a word for us, a solid foundation upon which to build a life. We are reminded of our call to give ourselves, therefore, wholly to Him, to walk in total consecration. And we're reminded that our saving God blesses us with his grace, his love, and his fellowship. We need these constant reminders that strengthen our faith. And the ministry of the church, the work of the ministers of the church, is a gift to us to see our roots go deeper and deeper, year by year, about 1,000 services for every 20 years of your life. If you've been in the church 40 years, 2,000 times having your roots sunk just a little deeper into Christ. We need this strengthening through the ministry of worship, word and sacrament, especially in times of trial, especially in times of cultural pressure and persecution. And that's what Paul says. He says, I want your faith strengthened so that no one would be unsettled by these trials for you know that we were destined for them. In fact, while we were with you, verse four, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way as you know. Paul says we were destined for trials. Jesus says it this way. In this world, you will have trouble. It's the destiny of all who are born into a sinful world to have trials, sufferings, struggles of various sorts. And what sustains us in trial is faith. And trials are a proving time. Trials test and prove our faith like nothing else. Peter in 1 Peter 1.6 says that, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, but these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, honor, and glory when Christ is revealed. You see, in trials, you see just how strong your faith really is. You don't know the strength of the bridge to withstand the earthquake until the earthquake comes. And so our faith is proved in our trials. Uh, recently, a uh, friend of mine was going through a very difficult trial um, with just unfaithfulness from his wife and navigating uh, just the fallout from that And in this immense grief and uh, just terrible betrayal and suffering, uh, one of the first things he said to me, he just said, in this all, he said, well, Jace, I'm definitely a Christian. He said, well, I'm definitely a Christian. And he's just saying like, I thought maybe my faith might be shaken, but there's one thing I know. I have a rock. And I know I have a rock I can rely on. He says, I know, I'm definitely a Christian. The trials of the faith. And because Paul knows as he says in verse five, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith, for I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might've been useless. Don't you know that our sufferings and trials, they are some of the greatest temptations that the tempter uses to try to shake our faith. What's one of the biggest reasons people give for not believing in God? The presence of evil and suffering in this world. The devil loves to use evil, suffering, to tempt people towards doubt in God, doubt in God's goodness, doubt in God's power, doubt in God's existence. And for some, the pains and troubles they endure in life hardens them against God. Charles Spurgeon noted that the same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. For the Christian, their heart is melted and softened under trial because they know where they can take shelter. For others, they are hardened. And many of you here, you've endured many trials in life. Some of you have suffered greatly. All have suffered some. And if you're still here, still holding on, grasping to Christ, then the Spirit has been at work in you. Your faith has been tried and proved, and it's still here. And that's something in which you can rejoice. Your faith has been weighed, measured, and has not been found wanting, but has been found taking refuge in Christ. And this was the case with the Thessalonian church. And Paul was encouraged because Timothy comes back and brings a good report. Look at verse six. Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. He's like, Paul. God did a real work in Thessalonica. In those short three weeks when I was there, they're filled with faith and love. The roots of their faith have gone deep and they're already bearing the fruit of love. And these two often go together in scripture. Faith bears the fruit of love. Galatians 5, 6 says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The root of faith bearing the fruit of love. And Paul rejoices to hear that God used his ministry in some extent. Look at verse seven. He says, so brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. He says, it's life to me to hear that you are walking in the truth. Or as John would say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And isn't that true? To know that someone you love is walking in the truth. We rejoice in that when we see our own children walking in the truth. But think, this is the way Paul feels about believers he knew for only three weeks. He rejoices and delights in them walking in the truth. And wouldn't it be great if we had such love for one another that we could rejoice in our brothers and sisters here at Cedar walking in the truth even as we would delight in our own children? Verse nine, he says, so how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? We looked at this last week. He said, you are our glory and joy. On that final day, we will rejoice in the work that God has done among you. He rejoices in what God has done in the church. And so he says, verse 10, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So once again, even though their faith could be strong, it was still lacking in some regard. And until our faith becomes sight, it'll have some measure of lack in this world. A lack which is supplied bit by bit, line upon line, through the ministry of the word. And Paul is hoping to continue to be an instrument in God's hand, supplying, strengthening the faith of these believers like, a, uh, like an assistant gardener with the master gardener, helping uh, protect the plant from storms and pests, helping to see uh, it fertilized and well cared for. He says, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4 that ministers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are God's gift to the church to strengthen the faith till they strengthen the saints till they come to the unity of the faith, to true maturity. And so your ministers, your shepherding elders, your teaching elders are God's gift to you to see your faith made strong. A deeply rooted faith fortifies and protects us against the storms and trials of life. It enables us to, pres- to persevere, even in suffering. And Paul wants to see the faith of these Thessalonians strengthened, but he's not there. He's currently ministering in Corinth. But what can Paul do? He can pray. And so he concludes this thought by even offering a written prayer for the church. Look at verse 11. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his saints. He has a prayer here, three petitions in it, and a prayer from which we can learn. A prayer I would love for each of you to learn and to memorize and to recite even this summer. If you don't currently have a prayer life, a regular pattern or rhythm of prayer, the best thing to do is to start easy. Start small with something. I would encourage you to even take these two verses, and if this is all you can do, make this your prayer in the morning, that the Lord would clear the way for the word to come to you, that he would make your love increase and overflow, and that he would strengthen your heart in faith and in holiness. This is really our application for everything Paul's been talking about. A prayer for our increasing love and faith. An acknowledgement that we need God to do that work in us. So let's briefly look at these three petitions. The first is this prayer for provision for gospel ministry. He says, pray that the Lord would clear our way to come to you. That is, pray for the ministers of the church to continue the work of the ministry. But even more, to clear the way for really the word of God. That's what the ministry is, the ministry of word and prayer for the word to come to the people, to strengthen them in faith. When we are praying this, we are praying that God would clear the way, all obstacles and hindrances, external and internal, that nothing would hinder our receiving from the word of God, strengthening by the spirit of God, that God would clear the path for effectual ministry, clear the path for our pastors and elders that they would be kept holy and preserved in their faith, strengthened and protected to minister to us and for us, that we would be free from everything that would seek to take the word of God from us. He prays for a clearing of the way for the work of the word. Second, he prays for overflowing love. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Increasing love until it's so full that it's overflowing to others. Those close to them in the church, those far away. Galatians 6.10 says to do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Love is the fruit of faith. Love shows that our faith is working, as James would say, and is not a dead faith. We need an increasing love, a heart overflowing with love, Uh, If you kids remember what was the problem with the Grinch, right? The Grinch who stole Christmas. His heart was much too small. And sometimes our hearts are too small. Not enough love. And we need the Spirit of God to increase and expand our hearts to have a greater capacity to love, that they would overflow with love to more and more people. Because love is the sweet fruit of faith. And what's the best part about the fruit from a tree is that it can be shared and enjoyed, and it blesses others. Our love is that fruit from our faith that makes a difference in the lives of others, serving, loving, guiding, protecting. And we pray for increasing love because we cannot change the size of our own hearts. We seek the source of love, the God who is love to make us loving. And so we pray as an expression and acknowledgement to know that God is where love comes from. He prays for love, and lastly, he prays for heart strength unto blameless holiness. Verse 13, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He's praying for strong hearts, which is to say strong faith. For in the New Testament, constantly faith is said to reside in the heart. Not merely in the mind, but true faith resides in the heart. Romans 10.10 says that it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We need a strong-hearted faith to preserve us blameless and holy before the presence of God. That is to say, on that final day we will be presented in Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. Being preserved blameless and holy here doesn't mean being sinless in this life, but it means persevering through to the end, holding fast our faith with a clear conscience until that final day. And again, because this preservation isn't ultimately our work, but God's, he prays. He prays that God would do that necessary heart-strengthening, faith-preserving work in his people. And so we want to learn to pray as well, that God would day by day strengthen our hearts and preserve us in the midst of a stormy culture. That's what we're after, a strong-hearted, deeply-rooted faith that, per- that perseveres to the end and bears the fruit of overflowing love. And this love, this faith, preservation is formed, rooted in the gospel ministry. The ordinary means of grace, word, prayer, sacrament, in Lord's Day worship, at home, with our families. Our faith came into being through the word and so was formed by the word. And so don't neglect these ordinary means of grace, for in them God is working. And so pray for God to clear the way for the word to come into your life. Pray that the Lord would make your love increase and overflow. And pray that God would strengthen your hearts in holiness. And trust that God does hear these prayers. God does answer these prayers when you pray them in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who died and was raised and is now interceding at the right hand of God for his people, presenting his finished sacrifice, clearing the way For us to come before the throne of God, showing forth his merits, reminding us of our freedom and pardon, and the smile of God that is now upon us because of what he has done. And so we pray in the name of Christ, in deep assurance and trust that through him, God wants to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, because his powerful spirit is at work among us. If his spirit's at work in your life, you can expect great things from God. Great love, great faith, great perseverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that if you are for us, none can stand against us. Thank you for the immeasurable well of love you have stored up for those that trust in Christ and look to him with simple faith. Lord, would you remind your people of your love today of your grace and goodness and desire to see them made strong, to see them overflowing with love. And so, Lord, continue to clear the way for your word to come to us. Continue to provide for this church and its ministry. Continue to open the hearts of your saints to receive your life-changing words. Lord, make our love overflow. Make our love increase for one another, that this church would be a place of love and that overflows in love to our neighbors and surrounding communities. And Lord, strengthen our hearts. There are many temptations, many trials, and we need your strength. Preserve us. Keep us until that final day. As you promise, finish that work you've started in us. Perfect that which concerns us for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. And all God's people said, Amen.